Well, today I, ha- I get to conclude what has been a fantastic sermon series uh, um, that we've been calling The Whole in Our Gospel. And as we've said week after week, this series is uh, based on the book called The Whole in Our Gospel. It's a book written by uh, Richard Stearns, who is the CEO of, of World Vision. And Richard Stearns sort of writes in this book about how God really changed his life and gave him a heart uh, for the poor and sort of snatched him out of corporate America. He's climbing the corporate ladder, living a very lavish and comfortable life and, and just Lord just really changed his trajectory and the book just sort of details uh, his journey there and just sort of raises our awareness for the plight of the poor and basically this series which by the way a number of other churches in this area are going through at the very same time you may not know this but we partnered with Living Springs and we also partnered with Homewood Church just down the street and the goal is for all of us to go through this material together so there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of other people hearing these very same messages all over these uh, the south suburbs here which is very interesting but the goal of this series is to see if we might be missing something as it relates to our faith journey maybe we're missing something as it relates to what God really expects of us and as we walk through this we realize that there's a lot that we've been missing if I can speak for myself I realize there's a lot that I miss. But that's the goal of this series. And the goal is to uncover where the hole is in our understanding of what God expects or what God wants from us. And I've been trying to be very, very clear over the last several weeks that there's not a hole in the gospel, in the actual gospel. But rather there's a hole in our understanding of who God is. A hole in our understanding of what Jesus expects for us as, as it relates to how we're supposed to live this out in the lives of the world uh, that's broken around us. And I've said week after week, and I'll say it for the last time this morning, that there's a hole in our understanding of who God is. There's a hole in our understanding of what we're supposed to do to live and walk this out. There will be a hole in our walk. There'll be a hole, uh, something missing in the way we walk this out um, in the world that we live in. And I, 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 I'm, it's refreshing for me to know that this isn't a new problem but that God has been speaking to this issue and speaking to his people regarding this issue for years and years and years and years. And we've been reading each week Micah 6, 8, where God speaks through the prophet Micah to his people. And Micah says this on God's behalf. God has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And what God expects from us is that we would love justice and we would lean into justice and we'd be champions of justice, that we would be lovers of mercy and be merciful to those that are around us and that we would be faithful in the things that God has called us to be faithful in, that we will faithfully walk with God on his terms and on his turf until the day we die. That's what God expects from us. Everything else is peripheral. Everything else is on the fringes. But this is the main thing. And if we search the scriptures, as we have been over the last four or five weeks, we find that this is true. And the first week we kicked off this series just identifying what the whole is. And identifying what the whole is, we talked about what was most important to Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth and he was talking to his disciples, trying to express to them what was most important. Jesus says, listen, this is what I came to do. I came to preach the gospel. I I came to proclaim freedom. I came to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what I came to do. And essentially, that's what you should be doing as disciples and followers of mine. We went on further to find the specific hole in us and to discover that God isn't judging us on what we say 
in the final days, he's going to judge us on how we, how we live, specifically how we related to the poor. We continued and just try to figure out what the problem is in our world and what the problem is in us. And we discovered that the problem was greed. And if we counteract that greed with God's generosity, that a whole world opens up to us. Last week, we talked specifically about uncovering the hole in the church. We asked and answered the question, who is my neighbor? And what does God expect from me as a neighbor to those who are in need of God's love? And I love this series because it's been incredibly comprehensive. And I particularly love this installment as we land this thing this week. We're going to talk specifically this morning about repairing the hole in the world. We've talked at length about the hole in our gospel the hole in us, the hole in our church. Today we're going to talk about the hole in the world and what God is calling us to do specifically to repair the hole in the world. Maybe it's news to you. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, but there is a huge hole in the world. Huge hole in the world. And if you turn your head sideways and look at this hole, it's God-shaped, Right? It's a God-shaped hole. It's void of the thing that the kingdom of God offers. It's void of the things that we personally carry on God's behalf. There's a huge hole. There's a big hole. And there's a hole in this world, and it's so huge. So huge. In fact, when we sit down and we read the statistics and when we look at the news and we just hear just how big this hole is, how, just how broken this world is, it almost seems too big to even want to even deal with too depressing. It's too hopeless. Clearly, there's nothing that I can do about this huge hole. A hole that includes disease and sickness of all types. A hole that includes hunger. A hole that includes poverty. It includes famine. It includes war. And more importantly, it includes spiritual darkness of all kinds. That makes for a huge, huge hole. It seems unfixable. But I'm here to tell you that it is fixable. And the repair men and women that God has called uh, to fix this huge hole just happen to be sitting in this room today and sitting in Christian churches all over the world. And I'm here to tell you that the hole is big. I won't lie to you about that, but it's fixable. And the people that God has called to bring repair to something that's so broken and something that is so huge, God's called us to do that today. And I just want to talk about that today. So where do we fit in all of this? And that's what we're going to discuss this morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. We were in Luke chapter 10 last week, but we're looking at the last half of that. We're going to look at the earlier part of Luke 10 this morning. We're going to start at verse one. But before I do that this morning, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, dear God, that you have chosen me to stand here and bring these words of truth and hope and light to your people, Father. I pray, dear Lord, that you uh, would just give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to, that are open to receive what you would speak today. God, would you give us the gift of faith this morning so that we can trust you with our lives? So that we can believe, Lord, that these things that you tell us to do are actually doable. That when you ask us, Lord, to step outside of ourselves and to care for others and to be selfless. And to live as you lived and to love as you love, that that is actually possible. That it's possible. 
And Father, I just pray that you would make this, you would put everything that you've given me to share today on a very low shelf so that it's accessible for everybody. I pray that transformation would come as a result of the hearing of your word today. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To Luke chapter 10. And basically what we're entering here is a passage that kind of gives us a broader window into Jesus's uh, sort of disciple discipling. Um, we, we are very familiar, many of us are familiar with the 12, right, disciples, right? And some of us fail to realize that there are a lot more disciples than just the 12. You know, the 12 are just sort of Jesus's inner circles. Those guys, you know, really went everywhere with him. But Jesus was making disciples all over the place. And this passage sort of gives us a little bit of window into that. And we see Jesus interacting with this larger group of disciples as he dispatches them to go and to do the kingdom work. We start at verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he had planned to visit. He's sending them before him. These were his instructions to him. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. So now go and remember that I'm sending you out as a lamb among wolves. So Jesus is addressing the 72 other disciples. And he's sending them out, right? And what's ha- what we see happening here is something that's very important. Jesus usually takes the, uh, is usually playing the role of the worker. He's usually doing the work. While his disciples are watching, they're taking notes, right? Jesus is instructing them. He's a practitioner. He's showing them, right? But in this particular case, Jesus is dispatching, right? The worker has become the watcher, and the watcher becomes the workers. Sending these guys out and giving them very specific instructions as to how they are to go and minister in the towns that he will eventually hit. What's interesting here is in verse uh, 2 here, Jesus gives them these instructions. Before he gives them instructions, he says, listen, I want you guys to be aware of something. There's a lot of work to be done. He says the harvest is great. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. There's a lot of things that need to be harvested. There's a lot of things that need to be torn down. But guess what? There's only a few workers. In other words, when Jesus tallies the harvest and all the stuff that needs to be done, and then he turns around and he counts the workers, he sees that there's a gap between, you know, what needs to be done and the amount of workers that there are to get this stuff accomplished. So Jesus gives them further instructions. He says, listen, I want you guys to pray to God the Father and ask him to send more workers. This harvest is great. There's a lot to do. Be prayerful about this. Ask God to send more workers for this harvest. Then he says, after that, he says, verse 3, now go and remember that I'm sending you out as a lamb among wolves. Now, I don't know if you notice just how slick Jesus is being right here, right? He instructs them to pray for more workers, and then basically he asks them to be the workers. That's like me saying, Mike, hey, listen, man, we're really short uh, on hospitality, man, so could you just join with me in prayer? and ask God to send us some people, man, to to serve with hospitality. And Mike just prays. And after Mike says amen, I say, hey, Mike, why don't you be one of those workers? Why don't you be what Jesus would say, be the answer to your own prayer? I've told you what to pray. I've given you a specific prayer to pray, and that is send more workers. 
And many of us, we would pray that fervently. God, would you send more workers? Yes, we'll travail in prayer. And then Jesus would say, why don't you be the answer to your own prayer? Why don't you be a worker? And this is exactly what Jesus does here. So it's a whole lot of work to do. In other words, the hole is big. The hole is big. We desperately need more workers. Will you pray with me? And when you say amen, why don't you sign up right here so that you can go and be the answer to your own prayer. You can be a worker. And this is basically how Jesus enlists this group of 72 disciples to go and do the kingdom work. We pick this story up just 17 verses later. Verse 17, when the 72 disciples returned, so they went out, presumably for a couple of days, and they returned to Jesus. They returned, they joyfully reported to Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Verse 21, at that time, same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do this this way. My father has entrusted everything to me. Not, no one truly knows the son except the father and no one truly knows the father except the son and those to, him, to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. So Jesus sends these guys out. They return back to him, and they've had this wonderful report of what they've seen. They're all excited. You ever been excited when you do something right and you have a good report? So just imagine these guys having gone, followed Jesus' instructions, and comes back with a message that, man, this stuff really worked. Came back excited. And I think this is a great passage to conclude our series with because Jesus is relating to his broader base of disciples. And I think that's good for us to hear because sometimes I think that when we look at and when we read passages where Jesus is relating to the 12, some of us let ourselves off the hook and say, you know what, those were the apostles, you know, those were the special guys. That was Jesus' inner circle. And it's just possible, just possible that Jesus doesn't expect me to do that stuff. It just made, made me just possible that that's for somebody who's a little more godly than I am. Somebody who's a little more hand-picked, a little more hand-chosen than I am. So, you know, when God is saying those hard and difficult, challenging things to the 12, that probably doesn't, probably doesn't apply to me. But here in this passage, we see Jesus relating to a broader you know, group of disciples. And I think this might register. This might hit a little closer to home for some of us, right? And Jesus basically sent these guys out to do what I'm challenging you to do, and that is to fill this huge hole. To fill this huge hole. And I think this passage shows us why our attention to this matter is important. And I just want to really highlight two things that I think this particular passage shows us. Two reasons why it's really important that we give ourselves to this. We give our lives to this. That we be forever transformed in the knowledge of knowing that God has a lot more for us to do than what we thought previously. 
that God has a whole lot more for us to do. He expects a whole lot more of us than maybe we thought, you know, four or five weeks ago. Two specific reasons. The first is that you can defeat evil by repairing the hole. This huge hole that's out there, you can defeat evil by filling this hole. Do you know that there's a lot of evil in the world? Do you know that that evil is what's pushing back against the kingdom of heaven and trying desperately to prevent the advancement of that kingdom that will basically bring everything that we need to fix what's broken? And I don't think we say it enough, but there's a real devil that hates your guts, hates what you stand for, Hates the change and the transformation that's taken place in your life and in your heart. Hates your renewed focus and would stop at nothing. Stop at nothing to discourage you. Stop at nothing to make you to, to complacent or make you feel like that's somebody else's job. Stop at nothing to have you forfeit the things that God has in store for you. And he will stop at nothing to have you sit idly by while the world just aches and just hemorrhages from this huge hole in their soul. He'd stop at nothing. And he shouldn't stop because that's his job. That's his job. He understands his job. And what I'm trying to get us to do is understand ours. But by giving attention to this matter and giving our lives to this, we can defeat evil, push back the kingdom of darkness by agreeing to work with Jesus in repairing this hole. Verse 17, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. I guess what Jesus is doing in response to this is he's just sort of saying, listen, I know what you saw, but let me show you my vantage point. Let me show you how I see this. And Jesus says, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. I think there's a number of different ways that you can sort of interpret that. You know, Jesus perhaps could be meaning that, you know, he was there in the very beginning. He was there when Satan lost his mind and got full of himself. And he saw when Satan, you know, was cast out of heaven to forever do his job of trying to trip up the believers and cause all this chaos in the world. He could possibly mean that. But what I think that Jesus means here is, is I saw Satan being defeated each and every time you guys decided to obey me and go into the world and push back the kingdom of darkness. I saw Satan fall each and every time you, des- you decided to be obedient to what I told you to do. It's almost saying, listen, I, I kind of saw in the spirit when you were praying for that sick guy. I saw when you were in that corner with the leper and you, nobody would touch him, but you laid your hand. I saw that. I saw that. And at the same time, I saw Satan falling from, from the sky. I saw him being crushed. I saw him doing that. And while you thought, disciples, that you were just sort of going about doing these natural works, you were engaging a spiritual battle. And that's where this thing is fought. It's not fought on the front lines of some natural thing. We're not fighting natural enemies. But this is a spiritual battle. And Jesus beheld this vision in the spirit. This is a spiritual battle. 
Paul says in Ephesians that we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers and dark world, and against every spirit in the heavenly places. What did Paul say? Listen, this battle is not natural. It's not natural. It's a spiritual battle. And some of you know that. You say, okay, but I'm talking to the folks that don't know that. Because there is an alarming number of people who, have, who seem to think that somehow demons and devils and all that sort of stuff no longer exists. That a long time ago, the devil said, man, this is really hard. Maybe I'll just go sell insurance or something. Where did all the demons go? What is this hatred that, you know, Satan has for the church and this hatred that Satan has for people in general? Where did that evaporate to? I'm going to tell you, it didn't go anywhere. It's still here and it's more real today than it's ever been. You don't believe me? Turn on the news. You don't believe me? Turn on MTV. If you don't believe me, turn on Christian television. You'll be able to see it everywhere. This is a spiritual battle that we're in. It's a spiritual battle that we're in. But before you get down and before you get blue about that, we return back to our text. We return back to Jesus saying, I beheld Satan falling from heaven like lightning. He says, I've given you authority over all of that stuff. All of that stuff. And Jesus says, every time you go out to do what I've instructed you to do, Satan loses just a little bit of his grip on this world. Every time you minister to an individual, Satan loses just a little bit and sometimes a whole lot of his grip on that person. And every time you minister to a broken system that is wrought with injustice, Satan loses just a little bit more of his grip on that institution or that particular outworking of injustice. With every single encounter, Satan loses his grip. Now, what if we really saw it that way? What if we saw that each scoop of rice and each scoop of whatever else we put into those bags to send to hungry children, what if we consider that each scoop, each bag that we throw on the pallet pushes back the kingdom of darkness just a little bit more? Each and every time a kid goes to bed and their belly is full instead of empty, that the kingdom of darkness gets pushed back just a little more. What if you consider that every time you drop some change in the cup of a homeless man and you give him an opportunity to eat that day, you push back the kingdom of darkness just a little bit more. Well, what if he goes and buys drugs with it? Well, what if he doesn't? I had a homeless drug addict tell me as we were ministering to them in a park in Champagne. He says, listen, yeah, sometimes we go get drugs with it. Sometimes we do that, but we still got to eat. And even if you give me money and I go get some dope with that, the next time somebody gives me something, I go eat with it. And I thought, Phew. my money still got them closer to eating that night. I don't know, you probably don't want to think of it that way. But each and every action pushes back the kingdom of darkness. Each and every time I stand up here to preach, I don't know where this message is going to end up once we post this thing online. 
Every single time I get up here and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, pushing back the kingdom of darkness just a little bit. Every single time I pray for the sick, give my time to praying for the sick, contending for healing. Every time I do that, push back the kingdom of darkness just a little bit. Every time I show up at restoration or every time I serve someplace, every time I do that, each and every time. And all of a sudden, staying at home on Saturday is a little more costly than it seemed before. Letting somebody else... Letting a group of five when a group of 50 could have showed up. All of a sudden, that's, that's, that's leaving a lot more money on the table than we previously thought. We've missed yet another opportunity to beat back the kingdom of darkness and in the same step to advance the kingdom of heaven. It's sobering, isn't it? Every time I serve, every time I spend time with somebody casting a pesky demon out of them, Doing deliverance. Every time I do that, you push back the kingdom of darkness just a little bit more. Jesus says, I saw Satan falling each and every time, each and every encounter this happened. John Wimmer, the founder of the vineyard, called these actions, he called it doing the stuff. Doing the stuff. Doing the stuff. And I love that phrase. We ought to say that more. Doing the stuff. Wilmer tells a story about him being a young Christian, really coming out of very, you know, I guess unhealthy. He was, you know, music producer and all the stuff that comes along with being a part of that world and part of that life. You know, the Lord was revealed to him and he started going to church and he started reading the Bible, started reading the scriptures, particularly the gospels, and saw all this stuff that Jesus did. And he even came across a passage where it says, These and greater works shall you also do. He's a little confused, though, because he didn't see any of that stuff happening in his church. So which his pastor said, listen, when do we get to do this stuff? He said, what stuff? Well, you know, the stuff, the healing and casting out demons and all this stuff that Jesus says. We're supposed to, when do we get to do this? Like, is that happening in some back room that I haven't seen yet? And the pastor basically said, hey, you know, we don't we don't really do that stuff. And Wimber became indignant couldn't reconcile what he saw going on in the church with what he read in the Gospels. And Wimber said, listen, if we don't do the stuff, we're doing nothing at all. Wimber understood that each and every time we did the stuff, we waged a war against the kingdom of darkness and we advanced the kingdom of heaven doing the stuff. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to do this stuff. And I feel like we've been doing all, we, we've been doing we've been doing the stuff you know since we've opened the doors. But I you know I think we need to do more of the stuff and get more people doing the stuff, doing the stuff. And this is what Jesus shows them. He shows them his vantage point, his vantage point. And what is that? All that stuff. What does that all begin? That just begins with us being obedient. Jesus isn't quiet or silent or you know cryptic about what he expects from us all he wants us to do is to obey and this is what these guys did listen they went trusting that god's power would follow them and that signs wonders and miracles and transformed lives would be the result and this is exactly what we saw we saw their obedience mixed with god's power and it basically changed the world and that's what god is calling us to do in this particular community that we find ourselves in today. I like verse 20. 
You know, these guys are really excited about the fact that demons come out when they, you know, and it's almost like Jesus is kind of throwing some rain on their parade a little bit. They're like, man, listen, we cast out demons and Jesus, we said your name and they just left, you know. And Jesus says in verse 20, listen, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. And I read this and I thought, come on, Jesus. Come on. They did what you told them to do. They're excited. You know, it's, the first, it's their first demon, you know. <laughs> the first healing, first miracle. Like, play it up a little bit, you know. You know, like we do our kids. They draw something. It looks hideous, but you're like, oh, that's awesome, dude. What we're saying is that's awesome for you. That's good. Just keep, keep at it, you know. But it almost seems like Jesus is throwing a little bit of rain on the parade. And Jesus says, no rejoice because demons come out. Rejoice because your name is registered in heaven. Now, what does that mean? What's Jesus getting at here? And Jesus knows at the very beginning of these guys, you know, going out and doing the stuff, he knows that it's very dangerous to start get into the whole measurement of all of that, Right? We want to see results, but it's very, it's, very, it's very dangerous to start focusing on oh, how many healings, you know, how many healings have you had this year? How many demons have you, did you interview the demons as you were doing the deliverance? Did you know, like, you know, who can, how, give me a count, give me a tally. If we're honest, we, we can say, like, we get caught up in the, in the metrics of all of that. And Jesus just reveals to us what's important. Jesus says, listen, don't, 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 don't get too caught up in all of that. Don't get too caught up in that, but do, you know, get caught up in the reality that your name is written in heaven. In other words, get excited about the fact that you get to partner with me. Get excited about that. And if you get excited about that and you stay excited about that, listen, the demons will come out. The blind eyes will be open. Transformation will occur. If, if, you, if you stay hooked up to me. If you stay connected to me, all that stuff will happen. But just rejoice because you're on God's team. Rejoice because you get to partner with me. And consider all the implications of partnering with God. Your soul is intact. Your heart is being restored. Your eyes now see what God sees. Your heart breaks now for what breaks God's heart. All of a sudden, your resource and your material wealth and all your gifts and talents are now God's. And he can use those things to do what he wants to do in the world, particularly in your sphere of influence. All of a sudden, being on God's team is a big, big deal. And I think that Jesus is sort of refocusing these guys. Saying, let's, let's not get too carried away. Let's not get too carried away here. But Jesus shows us that we can defeat evil. By being on his team, by being willing to fill this huge, this huge hole. Second thing that we get to do by repairing this hole is that we get to please Jesus. We get to please Jesus. Now that doesn't have a whole lot of pop to it depending on, you know, where you sit today. But let me remind you that we are people of divine purpose. Not just enough to be a person of purpose. But, you know, where that purpose and where that instruction and where our marching orders came from really matters. And that's why I say divine purpose. In other words, we're a people of purpose the way God intended it. Right? And what's our divine purpose? 
love God and to love people with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, right? Love God and love others. So particularly as this relates to God our Father, listen, our purpose for being here is to worship him and to live for him. We were made by God and for God. So whenever I tell you that any particular action, the results of that is that it will please God, that ought to like a ruckus of, you know, celebration ought to break out because you've been enlightened now as to how to live out, how to better live out of these, your purpose, what you're here to do. And I'm here to tell you today that one of the main things that happens as a result of us partnering with Jesus and repairing this huge hole that we see in the world, whether it be disease and sickness, whether it be, you know, people who are just spiritually blind and spiritually impoverished or whether people go hungry or whether people go naked or whether people go thirsty, to partner with Jesus in this effort pleases him like nothing else. Like nothing else. You want to score some points? You want to be pleasing in the sight of your creator. Listen, get busy pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Get busy filling this hole. Because this brings great pleasure to Jesus. And we read that in verse 21. At the same time, this is after these disciples have come back, Jesus sort of gives them a little bit of follow-up and a little bit of feedback. And at the same time, verse 21, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wiser and clever and, and for revealing them to the child. Like, yes, Father, it pleases you to do this this way. Verse 22, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. No one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to re- reveal him. Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So we see Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the one we want to please. We get a snapshot of him experiencing just this greatest measure of joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's something to watch. It's something to watch. And I just think about, you know, you know, as a young, as a young boy, I watched, you know, my father and I would take note of the things that he laughed at. My father was kind of a, kind of a stoic guy for, for the most part. So when he laughed, even if it wasn't funny to me, I thought, that must be really funny if, if, if my father's laughing. I mean, and there'd be times where my father would like, he'd be almost like he's choking, he's laughing so hard. And in those moments, it was really significant, whatever the joke was or whatever was on television, because it was just such a meaningful thing because, you know, he didn't, he didn't you know, have those types of you know, expressions of laughter a whole lot. And in the same way, when I look at this passage, I look at Jesus just bubbling over with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is a real Kodak moment for us. It's not that Jesus doesn't really experience joy, but the scriptures rarely tell us about it. You understand what I'm saying? So my question is, why was Jesus so happy here? Why was Jesus so joyful? Why was he so tickled? Why was he so pleased? Why did the Holy Spirit's joy just just fill him in this very moment? Well, the simple answer is this. His disciples finally got it. They finally got it. There's teachers in this room of all different age groups, even as we speak right now. 
And there's something that happens within the teacher when, you know, what they've been teaching and it's not been connecting, it's not been getting through. And, and all of a sudden, when students reach that breakthrough, there's just something that happens. Am I right, Mike? Any other teachers in, in the room here? Am I right? When, when they get it, it you, you almost feel relieved. You feel joyful. You feel happy. And this is what Jesus is experiencing is this moment. He says, Father, they get it. They get it. Not because they've been sitting, you know, behind some desk taking copious notes. They get it because now they're practitioners. They didn't get it just because they saw me, you know, healing the sick and they didn't see me. You know, they saw me raising the dead, but that's not why they got it. They get it now because they see that they can do it too. And because they saw it, you know, happen at their hands. Because they spoke the name of Jesus. Because they were obedient. Now they get it. They get it. And Jesus is extremely happy about that because the impact of the kingdom of God has been multiplied by 72 because now they can do this stuff too. Now they can do this stuff too. Not only is Jesus just doing all the stuff and then he gets in a boat and travels to the other side and he's got to do all the preaching, right? Now these average, ordinary, you and me folks get to do this stuff too. And if they're really on top of their game, they'll get some folks, each of those 72, they'll get somebody else and they'll teach somebody else and that somebody will teach somebody and Jesus just sees before his eyes the impact of the kingdom of God being multiplied before his very eyes and that's enough to make him just giddy with pleasure. But that's not it. That's not it. Why is Jesus happy is the question The other reason Jesus is happy is he's basically saying in this prayer to the Father, Father, thank you so much for your system. Thank you so much for how you operate. Thank you so much for how you work. Well, how does the Father work? Verse 22 says, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. Excuse me, I'm reading the wrong passage. Verse 21. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wiser and clever and for revealing them to the child. Like, yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Jesus says, I'm really glad that your kingdom system doesn't work like the world system. I'm really glad that the know-it-alls in the kingdom, in the kingdom sense, actually know nothing. And that the simple you and me everyday folks... Who say, you know what, I, I don't know a thing, Lord, teach me. I'm nobody special, Lord, you, you know, teach me. Humble folks submit and lower themselves and say, Lord, I'm just like Wimber would say, I'm changing your pocket. Just spend me how you want. Jesus says, thank you, Lord, for creating a system that the average Joes can come in and, and be a part of and to thrive. I thank you for this system. And let me tell you, I'm thankful for this system of the kingdom of God where the way up is down. Where the way to advance is to humble yourself. And the way to get all that the kingdom has for us is to humbly submit. I'm glad that, you know, the, God's system and his kingdom doesn't work like this broken, fallen world that we live in. And Jesus, as he beholds these 72 come back full of energy, full of life, full of joy, because finally they get it. Jesus is just reminded, God, your system, you're up to something when you made this. I love how you work. I love how this works, that you've hidden the treasure of the kingdom of God on the low shelf 
so that those who would uh, humble themselves can have access to it. And it would be permanently out of reach for those who think they're uh, big to do. Those who are unwilling to lower themselves, to humble themselves, and to receive what you would have to offer them. I'm so glad, Lord, that you put the good stuff, the good stuff on the low shelf. And that's not how it works in our world. The goodies, man, are on the, you know, on the top shelf. You know, you got to be really tall. You got to know somebody. You know, you need a step ladder to get to it. But Jesus says, Lord, I thank you that you put the good stuff, the real good stuff, the real valuable stuff. You put it on the low shelf for the humble to have uh, to lay hold of it. Jesus says, I'm thankful for your system. Pleased God. When he saw these guys come back and do this, it pleased him because he saw the kingdom breaking in and he saw the possibilities of what it would look like for these 72 to just go crazy, go crazy and just be dispatched into every corner of the world with the treasure of what the kingdom of God had offered them. This made Jesus very happy. And guess what? As we decide that we'll partner with him, we can please him as well. And we used to think that it was our beautiful prayers that we could string together that would God, make God say, you know, man, these guys are really spiritual. Did you hear that prayer? Did you see that cross he was wearing? Did you see how large that Bible? I think that was a red letter edition. Man, this guy is holy. All of a sudden, we realize that what Jesus really is impressed by is us doing the stuff. Caring for the poor. The lost and the least. The hurting and the broken. That's what Jesus cares about. That's what makes him happy. That's what brings him pleasure. And the more we can keep that before our very eyes, the more we'll get out of this. And the more change we'll see in the world. Amen? So the question is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Listen, we've heard a lot. And you can't unhear the stuff that we've heard. You can ignore it. But you can't unhear it. You can't unknow the statistics. You can't, you know, unlook at the huge hole that we've identified in this world. We also can't unknow what Jesus really expects from us and what he really expects of us. We cannot unknow that. So the question is, where do we go from here? What are you going to do with what you know? How are you going to live this out? How are you going to walk this out? And one of the quiz questions that I ask you now is, what does God expect of us? I'll make it more personal. What does God expect of you and me? How do you hear it? How do you see it? And what I think is that no longer can we separate acts of mercy and justice from kingdom ministry. No longer can we over-spiritualize what it, what it takes and what it looks like to please God. All of a sudden, we realize that what God is expecting us is to do what he came to do and to continue his ministry, to preach the gospel to the poor. To set at liberty those that are captive, those that are bound, right? To pray for and bring healing to those who are sick, to release the oppressed, man, to be the good news. This is what God expects from us and everything else in between. So now that we know what God expects, 
And God may reveal some more specific things that are relative to your particular life. Now that we know what God expects, and I believe that you do by now, the question is, are you willing to give him what he asked for? Are you willing to give him what he asked for? That's a big question, isn't it? I mean, this is a huge ask. It's a huge ask. I mean, to really look at this like we're supposed to look at it, it could really change some things drastically. It could change your spending habits. It certainly would change your spending habits. And what allotment of your money and your resource and your time that you allowed to, you know, filling this hole in the world, you might have to be a more conscious you know, discriminating consumer as you purchase products with justice in mind. You might say, you know what, this particular company, they don't mind that kids work 18 hours a day in terrible conditions. They don't mind that. They won't update their factory so they won't get a cent of my money, not if I know about it. All of a sudden, the price tag of that goes up. I mean, all of a sudden, it becomes more costly to, to get the things that you enjoy, like chocolate and coffee and apparel. All of a sudden... You know, you have to do something with what you've learned. Are you willing to give God what he asks? Are you willing to consider the things that he calls you to consider? And some of you today will say yes, but in your heart you say no. Some of you today say, yes, I will do that. I will do that. I must do that. I must do that. That's what God expects. I will do that. I will sacrifice. And this isn't a one-shot deal. This is like, this is who we are. This is life now. This is who we are as kingdom folks. Are you willing to uh, repair the hole in this world? Are you willing to do that with your life, with your stuff, with your heart? Are you willing to do that? And the more specific question to sum all of this up is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm not going to pass the microphone and you know let you share with it, but I think that we ought to put... Some things on paper, you know, put some things in writing, tell these things to the people that are in your circle so that it can hold you accountable. What exactly are you going to do? I don't want you to just leave out of here going, you know what, Lord, that was a good word. You know what? I was really challenged. You know, I was really convicted. The Lord just stirred my heart. That's fine. What are you going to do? How are you going to live differently today than you were living four or five weeks ago? How are you going to reallocate your resources? What are you going to do differently now that you know what God expects? What will you contribute to filling up this hole? Worship team, you can come up. The reality is, folks, that we know entirely too much to do nothing. I'll take it a step further. We know entirely too much to do the same that we used to do before we heard all this stuff. We just know too much. And when you realize that this is not what Christians do, but this is who Christians are, it ought to really change the world for you. It ought to really change things for you. And I'm not telling you to do something today. I'm asking you to partner with me as I do this. This is the direction that the Lord has taken this church. And again, this won't become some overbearing thing and that this becomes just like a social gospel, just a, you know, one-dimensional thing here. No, but this, we're convicted. We're challenged to, 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 to work this into the DNA of this church so that regularly we're putting before you 
this truth that God cares about this stuff. And this is actually what it's all about. This is the outworking uh, of, of kingdom action. It's caring for those who are broken, caring for those who have to do without, caring for the lost, least, hurting and the broken. That's who we are now. So my promise to you is that that'll be a stronger focus in this church. You just watch and see. I just would that you come along with me. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I know you're doing something in your people, especially doing something in this church. And God, we won't stand idly by and do nothing. We won't behold this truth and behold this message and leave the same. So, Lord, would you challenge us? Would you change us? Would you transform us, Lord? And may the impact that we have on this community, Father, be seen for miles and miles around, Lord. And, Lord, as we partner with other churches in this community to do the same, I pray that as we leave this building today, and even as we conclude with the food pack next week, Father, that that wouldn't be the end of it, but it would just be the beginning. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would sow our time, our talent, our treasure, give our lives to bringing you pleasure. Give our lives, Lord, to filling this hole and pushing back the kingdom of darkness with each and every encounter. Would you give us strength? Would you give us courage to be obedient? And when you mix your power with that obedience, the world in front of us changes. We give you glory, honor, and praise in advance for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.